Welcome. I'm really glad you're joining us today. As you can tell from the background behind me, it is Christmas time. I really love this time of year. I love the songs. I love the family gatherings. I love the church activities focused on the birth of Christ, the amazing thing that God did in it. And it's just a great time to celebrate. However, in our family, there are divergent opinions on when you can start singing Christmas songs. One of my grandsons, he says, it's a hard and fast rule. You should wait until after Thanksgiving. But my daughter, she starts on November 1st. She says after Halloween is totally appropriate to start singing Christmas songs. To help us sort of get in the sense of Christmas time, maybe you haven't started listening to Christmas songs yet, but I want to share one with you that I really enjoy. It's that that's Christmas to me by Pentatonics. Let's listen to this together. The fireplace is burning bright, shining all on me. I see the presents underneath the good old Christmas tree. And a widow like till Santa comes to wake me from my dreams. Oh, I, cause that's Christmas to me. I see the children play outside like angels in the snow. Well, Mom and Daddy share a kiss under the mistletoe. And we'll cherish all these simple things wherever we may be. Oh, I, that's Christmas to me. That is a really good Christmas song, and it gives you a feel for the holiday season that we celebrate at Christmas. It's amazing how so many people get caught up in the wonder of Christmas and how their spirits are lifted as whole communities celebrate Christmas together. There are many songs at Christmas time that don't really mention the first Christmas in history, and, and that's okay. But the power for Christmas and what elevates the moods of so many people at Christmas time comes from the fact that God was working in that first Christmas. And we can learn to enjoy it even more if we understand the history behind it. There's a reason that Christmas elevates moods on a such a broad level because it's rooted in history of what God has done and the amazing thing that he's accomplished as we celebrate Christmas. So in this series, I want to go back to the original history of Christmas and draw out why it is powerful enough to change those who celebrate it. Fake news is a real thing right now. You see memes about it all the time. Here's here's a fun one. This is this is a good one. Run so you're not snatched by fake news. Objectivity seems to have gone out the window in our world. Even the appearance of objectivity isn't really that much of a concern for the journalists that we read and listen to and watch 
on TV. This makes sense in our postmodern world because postmoderns aren't as concerned about the truth as they are creating a narrative that accomplishes their purpose. They create their purpose, they have something in mind, an agenda they want to accomplish, and they create a narrative to accomplish that purpose, that agenda. However, the truth is incredibly important. Because when you find a source of information that's not truthful, you stop trusting it. This message series, the whole series is called Christmas According to Luke. So I want to explain who is Luke and why should we care what he says about Christmas? Because he's the source that we're going to. Luke is the author of the third gospel, which is one of the four biographies that you find in the Bible. He was a Greek physician. He wasn't a Jew. He ministered and traveled with Paul on his missionary journeys as Paul went through the Roman Empire and planted several churches. He started several churches. Each biography of Jesus was written with a different readership and purpose in mind. Since Luke was a Greek and not a Jew, he wanted to communicate that the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, is for everyone, not only Jews, but also Greeks and other Gentiles. So here's how he opens his biography. Luke 1, 1 through 3. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good to me also to write an orderly account. So Luke says his biography is based on eyewitness testimony. He received the details of his biography from eyewitnesses. This is the most reliable source of information, eyewitnesses. He wasn't there himself, but he directly spoke with many eyewitnesses. He had access to them, and they explained the details, and he wrote them down. Since he was a doctor, he would be accustomed to careful research, paying attention to very minute details of what's going on, he had the ability to make connections to diagnose situations. He would have the competence to write an orderly account. So the reason we should care about Christmas according to Luke and what he says about it is that he was a careful historian who had received the words he wrote from eyewitnesses. This is not fake news. We can trust him as a source of 
for the history of Christmas. Now let's look at Luke's record of the circumstances of the birth of Jesus Christ. We understand Christmas more fully if we immerse ourselves in the scenes of Christmas in history. This is what Luke's writing about. Let's read through the passage for the day, and then I'll go back through it more carefully and break it down so that we can pull out the most amount of meaning possible. Luke 1, 26 through 37 is our passage for the day. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. He was sent to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now, the sixth month would be June for us, but they're counting this passage in the passage. Uh, it's, it's counting from the beginning of Elizabeth, Mary's cousin's pregnancy. She was pregnant with John, who would become John the Baptist, who was a forerunner of that was prophesied there would be a forerunner of the Messiah, and that was John the Baptist, who was a forerunner like the prophet Elijah, who cleared the way and confirmed the identity of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. The angel is sent to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To get to Nazareth, you have to bypass all kinds of important places. You you have to bypass Jerusalem, uh, the city of David, which is at the heart of uh, Israel's religious life and activities. Nazareth is the least, it's a least, at least, if not the least desirable part of the Roman Empire. It's one of them. Nazareth, it's not the typical place that heroes come from. Luke keeps, it's interesting, Luke keeps mentioning that Mary is a virgin. And we'll see why this is an important detail in a few moments. 
The angel says this to Mary. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel Gabriel brings greetings and Mary does what people do when angels show up. She got scared. I would be too. That makes sense. She's shaken to the core by this, greatly troubled, the passage says, which means really agitated and shaken up. Put yourself in her place. Would you be shaken up if an angel showed up and started speaking to you? I would. Here's what the angel announced. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary will conceive. This is what the angel tells her. She'll conceive. She'll give birth to a son. She's to give the baby, the name Jesus. He will be great, the son of the most high of God himself, and he will sit on the throne of David. Now, this is an important point, and we're going to circle back to it in the third message of this series. And Mary said to this angel, she responds to Gabriel, how will this be since I am a virgin? I appreciate her response, honestly. It's a model for what a responsive Christian faith looks like. Mary is doing what most of us would do. She is trying to figure out how she can conceive a child when she is a virgin. That's not the usual way that it works. So she's sorting it out. She's trying to figure it out. She's trying to figure out what this means. And it's an important thing, this virgin birth. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ is a crucial matter of doctrine. That's why it's such a major point in this passage that she's a virgin. It's brought up several times. It's an absolute necessity that our Savior's nature... uh, Human nature be pure and free from the corruption of sin. Adam, the first man, made a choice to sin which infected every person who came after him. He was the first, so the entire human race has been infected with sin. And if Jesus came from the seed of man... He would be corrupted by sin, and that couldn't be. But God could borrow the womb of a woman without being corrupted by sin. This is how Jesus could remain holy and how he could be fully God and fully man. It's an amazing thing. It's a mystery. How do you, how does, how do you do that? Only God can do that. Only God can pull off 
that mystery. And we, we don't know how. It's a mystery. That's, that's what it is. But absolutely necessary for our salvation. Since he is God and since he is preexistent, it had to be so he could be a holy, pure sacrifice as he gave his life for our sins. Another reason to point out this fact of the virgin birth at Christmas time and in Luke's record of the first Christmas is it was confirmation of a prophecy that's found in Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies in his lifetime. That's an amazing thing. And so the the writers of the biographies, the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, they would point out how Jesus fulfilled the prophecies as confirmation of his identity. Luke continues, And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the body, the human body of Jesus Christ, would be created by the direct power of God. Now, God is the one who created the world out of nothing. He spoke it into existence. So he has the power He has the ability to do what he's done in the virgin birth. We can celebrate that at Christmas time. And it goes on. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. So those are the circumstances that the careful historian Luke calls attention to. Now I want to explore how Mary moved from doubt to faith as she walked through this experience. And that's what what God does is he takes us all through experiences to help us move from doubt to faith. When she receives this greeting and announcement, Mary doesn't immediately accept it because she, she's, she's shaken by it. She's troubled by it. This is an honest response here that we see from Mary. She had doubts. She asked a question. And this is what we must do if we're going to choose real faith. We have to ask our questions. We have to seek God and get the answers to our questions that will deal with our doubts. Misguided followers of Christ, they often say, you, you shouldn't doubt. You, you must have faith. But, but what if I honestly have doubts? I mean, and, and I, I'm imagining that everybody has doubts. I've, I've dealt with doubt before. What that statement, you, you, you shouldn't doubt, says is, 
I, I'm, I'm really low if I have doubts. I, it makes you feel terrible if you have any doubts at all, ever. And it just squelches the process of seeking God. That's not what Mary did. The Bible is clear that there are two kinds of doubt. The first one is the kind of doubt that's a sign of a closed mind. And this, the first chapter of Luke is woven with the story of John the Baptist's birth and Jesus' birth. And there's a reason for that because John was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. But in, in that story, in the first part of chapter one of Luke, Zachariah had the first kind of doubt. He had the kind of doubt that's a sign of a closed mind. He doubted that his wife Elizabeth could even get pregnant in her old age. She had been barren and he doubted and he received discipline from God for his doubt. He, he went mute for the whole nine months of the pregnancy after it was announced to him. The second kind of doubt that you find in the Bible is a kind of doubt that's the sign of an open mind. This is the kind of doubt that Mary was experiencing. This is what she had. She was open to the truth and willing to surrender to the sovereign will of God as she was shown that the truth wasn't the way she thought it was. That, that's, that's the kind of doubt that is okay with God. So Mary, what she does in, in this passage and over time, she responds gradually to the Lord. And I think he's pleased with that. And it, it's an honest response. So he wants genuine followers. And so he's pleased with Mary's honest response. What, what you see in, in this passage and what I'm covering this morning, Mary moved from measured questioning to acceptance to faith from the heart. She started from measured questioning. Luke one thirty four says, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? Now, this is a polite way of saying, That is crazy. It's impossible for a virgin to get pregnant. How, how does that happen anyway? Put yourself in her place. She lived in a shame-based culture where there was nothing worse than to bring shame on your family. As a woman, you could be killed for that. She was not only, she was only engaged. She wasn't married. She was betrothed, which is like engagement. She wasn't married yet. Even if Joseph chose to stay with her, which she, he, he did, people would add it up. Married on this date, the baby born on that date. One time I asked my mom if people got pregnant before they were married in her day more than they did in the current day. And she said, well, 
No, um, there were just a lot of seven-month pregnancies, and that that's how it was. People were doing the math. They were adding it up. It was a seven-month pregnancy. That's what people do. That's what people did in Mary's day. That's what people did in my mom's day. That's what people still do. The whole community would think that Mary was intimate with Joseph before they were married or that she was unfaithful to Joseph as before they were married. Either way, I'm pretty sure it wasn't Mary's picture of how she thought her life would go. Mary's sorting the cost of all this. She's, she's in the midst of a shame-based culture. There's a tremendous amount of shame potentially going to be brought on her. And I'm sure that that wasn't a part of the dreams she had, the, the vision of the future that she had for her wedding day and the future that she would enjoy with her husband. I, I know teenage girls, they, they really start painting a picture of this. I've, I've watched Say Yes to the Dress with my daughter a few times. I know, I know how it goes. Most ladies I know have a vivid picture of the way they want their life to go. And this wasn't a part of Mary's picture at all. <laughs> she, she was sorting through this. Another thing, Mary didn't know the end of the story like we do. We, we can see it from beginning to end. She was in the middle of the story. She didn't know the ending. If we refuse faith in the middle of the story. Now, Mary moved from honest doubt, which is okay with God, to faith. But if we refuse faith, because so she was inclined, you can see that she was inclined to faith. But if we refuse faith in the middle of our story, then we don't experience the work of God in our lives. It's shut off. But if we choose faith like Mary, we become a part of what God's doing in history. And he works through us to accomplish his purpose in our lives. That's an important thing to understand. Are you in the middle of a storyline in your life? What is it? Will you trust God like Mary did? Will you lean toward faith and trust him to be at work, even when you can't see how or you don't know how he's going to pull it off? This is an important thing to do. Here's what Mary did. She then moved from acceptance, no matter the cost. Luke 138, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She isn't saying, it's clear what's happening to me. I see how it's all going to happen. I love this plan. I'm glad to be a part of it. Thank you for that. She is saying, it, it doesn't all make sense to me, but I'm willing to serve you, God. I'm willing to pursue your will no matter what. This is where we need to land. Often, this is the only thing we can do. We can do what Mary did. When we're following the Lord, 
we 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 can't see how our obedience is going to bring about the right result, the right thing. But we submit to his will. This is what we should do. This is what Mary did here. She moved to acceptance no matter the cost. We submit to his will. We trust him despite our fears and reservations. Doing that gives you a foothold for moving forward. It allows God, the author of life, the one who gave us life, it allows him to write the ending without interference from us. That's an important thing to allow him to do. Allow him to write it. Finally, Mary moves from faith, or she moves to faith from the heart. She visits Elizabeth uh, after a while, and on this visit, she sings a song of praise. Here's a part of it that I want to read to you. Luke 1, 46 through 49. It says, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. She she is not merely submitting to God here. Okay, God, I I don't know how, I don't know, I don't understand um, what you're doing exactly, but I'm willing to go along with it. Here, she is praising God. For what he's done. She is giving her heart joyfully. And this is after she's had time to process, of course. There's been, uh, some, some time between the announcement from the angel Gabriel to this song of praise where she gives her heart joyfully. And that's where God wants us to move toward. He wants us to move to faith from the heart where we're joyfully doing what he wants us to do as we walk through life. We we need God's help to have this kind of faith. Genuine faith isn't something you just decide to exercise. It's not a process that you and I are completely in control of. There's a mystery to it. One of the characteristics of real faith is that there's a sense that there's a kind of power. There's some kind of power outside of you putting its finger on you, coming to you, and dealing with you. And that's the Lord at work. He's the one who's moving you or drawing you to real faith. This is how God works. He draws you and I to himself, and he helps you to live by faith after you've decided to follow him. Jesus said that no man comes to me unless the Father draws him forward. So that's how we come to real faith. 
genuine faith. There's this sense that something outside of me is drawing me, and we discover it's a person, it's God himself drawing me forward to faith in Jesus Christ. Christmas is not a fable. It is a miracle performed by the power of our Creator. In light of the miracle of Christmas, will you choose faith like Mary when she couldn't see the ending of her story in the middle of a story? Will you choose faith like her as you walk through your life? She was shaken by the angel's announcement or announcement. Um, she was willing to face ridicule in the middle of a shame-based culture. She didn't know the outcome, but she trusted God completely. And it turns out, at the end, from the heart, she praised God for allowing her to be a part of what he's doing in history. The Lord wants to help us choose that kind of faith as we celebrate this season. So I want to encourage you to think back through what God has said to you in this message. And here are some next steps that I suggest today. My next step today is to ask the Lord to help me get the answer to my honest questions. There are answers for your questions. Honest doubt is okay with the Lord, but he wants you to move from doubt to faith. He wants to help you in that process. In fact, if you have questions, genuine questions, he's the one drawing you. He's using even those questions to draw you to trust in him. A second step, accept the will of God for me, despite the cost. Maybe you have a clear picture of God's will for you, and it's it's going to cost you. Maybe you know what he wants you to do, but you've you've been afraid to do it. You've had reservations for stepping out to do it. And you just need to go ahead and do it. You need to accept the will of God despite the cost. That's another step. And then finally, surrender completely to God in faith from the heart. Maybe you've been wrestling with something. And you're ready to surrender to God from the heart right now. You can take that step now. If maybe you've been wrestling with just giving your life to follow Jesus Christ, you can take that step now. Let us know on the connection card and we will help you um, work through that decision. We will help you answer your questions and we, 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 we exist to help with moving from doubt, measured questioning, to full-on faith in the living God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for stepping into our world and being born so that we could have life. Thank you, Lord God, for the miracle of Christmas, the miracle of the virgin birth, and how that is a core part of our salvation. We praise you for that. We honor you. 
And we thank you for the work that you've done at Christmas. Help us to choose faith in following you this week. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.